Well, hey, um, I'm going to see how truthful that you're going to get with me today, all right? Because you lied last Sunday when I asked you how many of you are ready to go into week two of the book of Habakkuk and you all celebrated. So how many of you are ready for week three of the book of Habakkuk? Okay, I like it. Hey, that's a more honest answer. That's a more honest answer. Because the truth is, is the last two weeks have been tough. The last two weeks of what God has been teaching me, what he's been teaching you, has been a tough two weeks. But I hope that our heart has seen and we've heard um, the truth of God's word that the very first week, what we left with is knowing that our father loves us unconditionally and that he wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to share our emotion with him, even when we're fearful of what his response will be back. But we saw all throughout the scriptures over the last couple of weeks that even in the midst of us not agreeing with what God's doing, that he still responds, he's still listening, and he's still speaking to all of us. Last week, we talked about how we a lot of times have to receive the disaster that's taking place in our life, and we have to trust in the idea that what God is doing is taking our mess and making an absolute miracle out of it. And how we can take and walk through our life circumstances, but the whole purpose of it is so that God can bring people to himself. It's so that God can bring people to salvation. And we heard the words of Jesus when he said last week, seek first the kingdom of God. And what we challenge you with is maybe as believers, that's what we need to start looking for is to stop praying only for our circumstances to be changed but the reality is, is let's begin to pray and seek first the kingdom of God, because ultimately all that matters is people coming to know him. And are we willing to let God use our lives? Are we willing to let God use our disasters to draw people to himself? You know, one of the examples that we used was last week and we prayed um, for Dwight and Sue as they were getting and flying across the world to share the gospel in the midst of, of him losing his dad and then 13 days later losing his mother. Um, who they'll be laying to rest this afternoon. But the beauty of that is what we need to celebrate is we got the report as they landed yesterday, 215 people surrendered their heart and their life to Jesus Christ on that trip. Thank God that he took a mess and he made a miracle. That is 215 people that will now celebrate eternity because of somebody's obedience because it would have been easy to stay home. Not that Dwight and Sue saved anybody. That's not at all what I'm saying. But they took the good news. They shared the good news. They didn't let circumstances slow them down. But you know, in chapter one of the book of Habakkuk, which we ended last week, we've seen that this chapter has been kind of the chapter of wonder and worry. God, what are you doing? And I'm really worried about what you're doing. Um, Warren Wiersbe, he, he, very, he, he summarizes this whole book into three categories, separating each chapter. Chapter one is looked at as the chapter of wonder and worry. Chapter two is the chapter of watching and waiting. And chapter three is the chapter about witness and worship. So the entire book we're going to see evolve. We're going to see the bookends on this entire book where it starts with worry and the other bookend is this going to end in worship. And so a lot of us, a lot of times, we're somewhere in the middle of all that mess right now. 
And you're thinking, Brian, the main thing that I want to do is I want to get from this place of worry. And yes, I want to land on this idea of worship, but I have no idea how to get there. I have no idea how to go from worry to worship. But here's been my prayer for you is that God is teaching us, look, here's the truth is we're not going to land on the idea and the, we're not going to lay the stake in the ground today and say, hey, here's how you land on worship. We're just going to look at another step in the process. But what my prayer has been for you throughout this entire series is that you're not going to let the worry of life steal your worship. Because that's the difficult place to be because we as humans, we get caught up in the worry and the struggle of our circumstances and we let that hijack our worship. So what we have got to be very determined that we're going to do is we're not going to let the worry hijack our worship. We've got to stay faithful. We've got to remain the course. But you may be saying, how do I get there? How do I get there? We ended up last week at the end of chapter one, we see where Habakkuk is, he's landed in a place where he's finally trying to muster up this faith to just trust God. We heard him call him Lord, we heard him call him rock. We said, he said, are you not from the everlasting? Is this not you, God? And we see that he's trying to almost build up the, the momentum so that he can trust God. But then he ends the chapter by complaining again. So we've seen him go from the, from the doubt and the worry to the faith, to the trust, to the doubt. We've seen him go back and forth this entire first chapter. And I think we can all relate to that. That is what a, a life of a follower of Christ looks like. It is, a, it is a war. It's a battle. God, I want to trust you, but God, I doubt you. God, I want to believe you, but God, circumstances doesn't show me that you're working. And we ended last week talking about how we have got to seek first the kingdom of God. And what we tried to try to put the exclamation point a lot of times that when we're seeking God, when he reveals himself, we still have to realize that a lot of times the way he reveals himself is not the way that we thought he would. And where faith comes in is when God reveals himself in a way that we never imagined, but are we going to trust that too? Are we going to trust God with the way that he reveals himself? So now as we begin to look at Habakkuk's journey, what we're going to see today in chapter two is we're going to see where Habakkuk, we see this whole war continuing to take place. But what I love about chapter, or chapter two is we see his first sign of surrender. We see his first sign of surrender. Now look, I'll just be up front with you when I sat down and I started to study on Tuesday, you know, I had already read through the chapter two several times and I already kind of had an ending place of where I thought we were going to end today. I thought, you know what, we're going to make it through about 17 or 18 verses. So we'll be able to knock out a whole lot of chapter two, because I don't know if you realize, but in my mind, I had this series only lasting about four weeks. Okay. This is week three. So we ought to be ending this thing right next week. Today, what we're going to talk about it's Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. That's it. I never made it past verse one. Okay. So we're going to be here for about three minutes. So you can go ahead and gather your stuff and get ready to go. Cause we're almost done. I'm just kidding. We're going to be in verse one for a while. Okay. But there is so much stuff that God was just throwing off the page at me as I continued to pray and I continued to study. But what I love to see about verse one is we see a commitment that Habakkuk is about to make. 
So follow along with me as I read chapter two, verse one. And he says this, this is Habakkuk talking back to God again. It's almost like he tells God, okay, God, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what my surrender is going to look like for right now. He says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak and how I may reply when I am reproved. So this is a commitment that he makes. This is a commitment and a statement that Habakkuk makes and we see that this is the first hint of his surrender. All we're gonna do today is walk line by line through this first verse. The very first statement that I want us to look at is where he says, I will stand on my guard post. I will stand on my guard post. You see, remember, as I shared a moment ago, we've seen Habakkuk go from faith to doubt, from trust to question. We've seen this battle taking place. But when Habakkuk makes the statement and he said, okay, I'm going to stand on my guard post. You see, when we look at the definition of what stand means, there's a lot of weight that goes to it. What Habakkuk is saying when he declares, I'm going to stand, is he says, starting today, God, I am declaring with everything in me, I'm going to stand firm in you. I'm not going to waver. I'm tired of this wrestling of going back and forth. And God, today, I'm going to do everything I can to make a commitment to trust you. I'm going to stand in you. I'm going to stand on you. There's going to be no more of this back and forth. God, I know I've been all over the place. God, I know I've doubted you. God, I know I've questioned you. God, I know I've gotten mad at you. God, I know I've been honest with you. But starting today, God, I want to lay this flag in the ground and say, God, today I'm going to stand on you. I'm going to stand on my faith in you. But then he says, though, I'm going to stand on my guard post. So while he's standing on his faith in God, what does it mean when he says that I'm going to stand on my guard post? You see, we have to understand the context of the language that he's using here because guard post, what it's doing is he is referring to what in the ancient days they would call as a watchman. They would call this man standing on his guard post a watchman. And there's some very interesting things that come along with what it meant to be a watchman, to oversee a city, to watch out for a city. And so what he's going to do and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what the role of a watchman is, what the role of us standing on our guard post as a follower of Christ means and what it looks like. You see, what a watchman would do is they would station themselves at the highest point on the edge of a city, whether it would be on a tower, whether it would be on the top of a wall, but what they were responsible for, what a watchman's job was, was to stand on the tower, stand on the highest point, and what they were to do was to observe any danger that was coming. They were to stand and see if there was any approaching armies. What they were also doing is they were waiting to hear from God. They were wanting to seek God's direction. They were wanting to, to also here, we're going to go here in just a minute, but they were also wanting to, to get ready for God's wrath, for God's judgment that was coming so they could take the information that they had and warn the people that were back in the city. So this watchman was to stand the guard post. So here, here's, here's Habakkuk taking on this role to watch over Israel, 
He said, okay, today, God, I'm going to stand firm in you, and I'm going to watch over the city that you have entrusted me with. That's what I've been called to do. So therefore, God, today, that's what I'm going to do. But when you take the phrase, stand on my guard post, here's where it all hits home with us. When we take the phrase to stand on our guard post, what it is literally talking about is for us as believers in Christ to stand firm on our obligation that God has given us or our service that God has called us to. It is our duty as a follower of Christ to, yes, stand firm in him, but also to stand firm and be obedient with the obligation that God has entrusted you with. You say, well, what does that, what's that matter to me? You see, every person in the room right now that has believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you as a follower of Christ today, every single believer in this room, you have a guard post. God has given you an obligation. God has called you to a service that you will be accountable for one day because it is your duty as a follower of Christ. So what is that guard post? Where has God called you? What has God entrusted you with? Number one, the first ministry, the first guard post that God may have called you to is this, your family. Moms and dads, it is your duty to be the watchman to stand on your guard post on behalf of your family. God has called you to permanently stand on him, but he has also called you to seek him, but he's also called you to seek his direction, and he's also called you to warn against any danger that you see, to warn your children, to warn your family members of sin that you see creeping in their life. It is your responsibility as that watchman, that person standing on the guard post to bring attention to what God reveals to you as danger. But the truth is, is you know what we have to do first? We gotta be seeking God in that. We've gotta be asking God to reveal those dangers to us so that we can see those things. That's why we talked just a moment ago about scraping the frost off the windshield. We've gotta on a daily basis, God, make me sensitive to you. Make me sensitive to what you're showing me. Make me sensitive to what you're speaking to me because it is my duty and my responsibility to be the watchman of my home, of my family. And so while we love to take pride in that concept, especially us men, right? This is kind of the part we go, yeah, ain't nobody coming in my house. I'm watching them. I'm protecting them. And I'm going to do anything to protect them. But then also, while we're supposed to fight against the dangers that are coming, we're also to warn against God's judgment, which means mothers, fathers, do you know whose responsibility it is to share the gospel with your children? It ain't mine. It ain't the youth pastors. It's not the people that serve in children's ministry. You are the watchman. You are the one to be standing on the wall overseeing warning of God's judgment. It should be you that is having the conversation with your children, warning them of God's judgment that is to come. But here's the thing is we don't want to get caught up in the doom and gloom of God's judgment because there's victory. Yes, we warn against God's judgment, but we share about the victory of who Jesus Christ is and that he has came to rescue the world. 
that he died on the cross on behalf of their sin so that they can have eternal life, so that they can walk in that victory. But until they know the, the bad news, they'll never appreciate the good news. And so that's what the good news is. So don't get me wrong. While I'll be glad to share the gospel with your child, while anybody that serves in our church would be honored to share the gospel with your child, our job is to come alongside you and help you do that, not be the one that does that. And so we're to stand firm on our guard post with our families. You may say, well, Brian, I don't have a family yet. I'm still single. I'm still in college or I'm in high school or I'm in middle school. So God, so Brian, what is my guard post? You have a sphere of influence. God has called you to a group of people, whether it's one or whether it's 500, that God has called you to be the watchman or to stand on the guard post over that sphere of influence. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe for students, it's your teammates. I don't know what the scenario looks like in your life, but where God has placed you, God is wanting you to be the watchman over that placement, those group of people to where you are supposed to be standing firm. You're supposed to be seeking God. And then when you see the enemy attacking, you're to warn them of that, but you're also to be warning them against God's judgment that's coming. You're to be sharing the gospel in those everyday conversations. The next one is, and look, it's, it's, I'll just be honest. It's going to get a little sticky here in just a little while, okay? Y'all all right with that? But look, you can be mad at me all you want to. This is what God's word says, okay? So you can be mad at him. You can share your emotion and be honest with him if you want to. So that's good. But another one, if God has called you here to Chestnut Mountain Church for this to be a part of your family, guess what every one of our jobs is? It's to stand firm on our guard post. Meaning that us as brothers and sisters in Christ, what we're to be doing for one another is we're to be at that highest point looking out for any of the enemy's attacks that are coming against you and that's coming against me. And what we're supposed to do is when we see that warning signs, when we see the sin that can be creeping in your life, because here's the reality, sin is going to lead to disaster and destruction. And when we as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we see that creeping in your life, it is our job to bring attention to it. It's our job to talk about it. It's our job to have those awkward conversations. How many of us like awkward conversations? Some of you are going to go, I, I do. Some of you, yeah, that's just weird. I don't. But what this the truth of God's word is calling us to do is to have those awkward conversations. Maybe today your guard post is your ministry. Maybe you serve in a ministry. God has placed you over that ministry for that reason, to be that watchman, to stand on that guard post and to watch and observe, to see what the enemy is doing to come in and destroy his work in that ministry. But as the spirit of God reveals those warning signs, those dangers to us, what we cannot afford to do, church, is this. We can't afford to turn a blind eye to it. We can't afford to sweep sin under the rug and just forget about it and pretend that it's not there. We can't turn a blind eye to it because eventually it's going to lead to sin. Eventually it's going to lead to disaster. Eventually it's going to lead to destruction. 
But you see, here's why we don't call it out. Because we as the church, we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, we don't have thick enough skin for somebody to call out the sin in our life. Because when somebody calls it out, we look at it and say, oh, you're just judging me. Church, we've got to get over this mindset of they're judging you and realize the way that the reason that they're warning you is not out of judgment, but it's because they love you. They don't want to see disaster come. They don't want to see destruction come in your home. They don't want you to lose your job. They don't want you to lose your family. And they're coming at you, approaching you about a sin because they love you, not because they're judging you. Because the truth is, is if they swept that sin under the rug, if I sweep that sin under the rug and we never call it out, your family's destroyed, you lose your job, and then you have a conversation with them years later and say, you know what, I, I saw it coming. I saw it coming. Why didn't you warn me? Because the enemy puts blinders on. The enemy doesn't want us to notice the dangers that are coming. He will put blinders on so that we don't recognize it as sin, so we don't recognize it. He decorates it as fun. He recognizes it. He wants us to understand it as entertainment. He wants us to all look good, and then all of a sudden, disaster has come and swept us off our feet before we even know what happens. And so many times, we as believers sit around and watch it happen. We sit around and we watch it happen to our brothers and sisters. But the problem is, is we've got to get over understanding that we're addressing it not out of judgment, but we're addressing it out of love because we don't want to see it happen. And I know that this is a big responsibility. This is a big responsibility. I want you to flip real quick with me to the, the book of Ezekiel. Go back to the other prophet. Go back a few pages. 677 in my Bible. Probably not in yours. But here's where Ezekiel is, pointed, is appointed as a watchman over Israel. Here is where he is given his responsibility. Here's where he is giving what his duty is by God. Listen to what he is addressed with in chapter 3. Verses 17 through 19. Now, look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is a lot to take in. This is a lot to kind of process. But I want you to think about the responsibility of what he's being challenged with and then apply it to us. He says, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die and you do not warn him or speak out or warn the wicked from his wicked way that he may live, the wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 19, yes. If you have warned the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have been delivered yourself. I don't know about you, but I don't want to, at the end of this life or at the end of any season of my life or a disaster in someone's life to be my responsibility. You say, well, Brian, I didn't cause it. I didn't make him do it. But no, the Spirit of God spoke it to you, made it known to you. And once it is made known to you, then it is your duty as a follower of Christ to warn them about it. 
I don't want that responsibility on me. But you hear here in, in, in the book of Ezekiel, is it always going to be welcomed with open arms and love? No. People are going to get mad. People are going to get frustrated. They're going to cross their arms and say, you're judging me. You don't like me. You just think you're better than me. You're so super spiritual. You think you're holier than thou. No, I'm not. I'm just speaking to you. Look, I've got my own mess. I've got my own mess. I've got my own struggles. I've got my own sin. And here's the reality. Since I'm calling you out, I want you to call me out. I want you to speak truth to me. I want you to speak this into me. Paul even says in the book of Acts chapter 20, he says, look, I've warned you and it ain't, it ain't on me anymore. It's on you now. I've done what I'm supposed to do. So now it's on you. So Habakkuk has said, I will stand on my guard post. Yeah, it took about 15 minutes to uncover that one little five letter, not even a sentence. But as a church, we have got to get back to a place where we're standing on our guard post, where we're sharing the word, where we're warning against sin. We've got to say today that we're going to stand firm in the Lord and we're going to speak truth even when it makes us uncomfortable. Even when it makes us uncomfortable. And now for the second line. And station myself on the rampart. I read that about 10 times before I even dove into it. And I thought, you know what? There's probably something there. What does it mean to station myself on the rampart? What does that mean? Remember, as we talked a moment ago, it said that the, that the watchman would place himself on the highest elevation so that he could see better. But as a watchman, you were called by God. So what we understand is not only did they go to the highest elevation so that they could see better, but they would go to the highest elevation so they could hear better, so that they could hear God speaking, so they could hear God moving in their life. But here's what we have to understand. The symbolism that goes into that sentence alone to station myself on the rampart, the symbolism that is in that little sentence here is absolutely earth shattering. Because when Habakkuk says, I'm going to station myself on the rampart, what Habakkuk is meaning is, yes, I'm going to go to my highest location so I can see danger, but I was also going to go to my highest location so that I can hear from the voice of God. What he is saying, he says, look, I'm going to make a determination today. I'm going to lay it on the ground today that I am no longer going back and forth with this faith thing. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to go to my highest point. I'm going to seek God's face. And so therefore, I'm going up there so I can see better so I can hear better. I'm going to rise above the chaos of this life. I'm going to rise above the loudness of what's going on in that city. But here's where it gets awkward. But I'm also going to rise above the sin that is in that city. Because you see, we shared a few weeks ago that sin has taken over Judah. They've gotten, gotten away from the teaching of God's word and sin is just running rampant in the city. And Habakkuk knows that in order to hear from God the way that God wants him to, he's got to put all that behind him. He's got to raise himself above the chaos. He's got to raise himself above everything that's going on in life. He's got to raise himself above the sin that is all over the city. But what I love about Habakkuk is that he was disciplined enough to do it. 
He was disciplined enough to get himself in a position to where he could hear from God. I think if we get down to the root of all of the issues that's going on in our world right now, it's because that we as a church aren't disciplined enough to position ourselves in a place where we can hear from God. We want to stay down here in the midst of chaos. We want to stay down here in the midst of this life and the busyness of this world. And here's another one. We want to stay right in the middle of all the sin because we're not willing to give it up. It just got quiet. But the problem, and this is what is heartbreaking to me. Can the world tell a difference between the church and the lost? The problem is, is we as Christians, we look just like the world. We do what the world does. We act like the world does. We say the things that the world does. And in the reality, we look no different than a lost world. Church, I'm telling you, we don't have enough time to compromise. It is time that we as the church, that we get back to a place where we raise the bar, where we look different, where we talk different, where we act different, where we treat people differently, where we perform different things. But the reality is, is, is when life's chaos comes, when depression comes, when the stresses of this life comes, Instead of positioning ourselves on the rampart, we run right back to the sin that temporarily makes us feel good. But God is saying, if you'll position yourself to hear from me, I promise you I'll speak. If you'll separate yourself from the chaos, if you'll separate yourself from the loudness, if you'll separate yourself from the sin that has so easily entangled you, I promise I'll speak. But the problem is, is we want our sin more than we do God. We love the entertainment of this world more than we do what he's done for us. You know, this is where a lot of us will go super spiritual and we take a, a phrase that we've really adopted as a scripture and it's not even a verse, but it's a kind of a compilation of a bunch of verses, but it says that, well, Brian, but he's told us that we're, 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 we're become all things to all people. That, 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 that is a verse. But then the other one that's talked about, well, we're called to be in the world, but we're not called to be of the world. We're called to be in the world, but not called to be of the world. You see, what that really means is when the lost world looks at our habits, when the lost world looks at our lifestyles, when the lost world looks at our everyday things that we do, that we say, that we, that we talk about, do we look any different? Do we look any different? But what is so scary is that the lifestyle of so many believers look exactly like the lifestyle of an unbeliever. And I'm not gonna get into the whole thing if you're saved, if you're not saved, that's not for me to judge. But the bottom line is, is when the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you get to a point where you realize, you know what, it's not about me stopping doing this, it's about me, oh, I've gotta give this up or I gotta give that up. No, we get to a point when the Holy Spirit takes over that we wanna give it up. 
Because then we are being molded into the image of his son. And here's the question, are we sowing confusion in the life of unbelievers? Or even more so, are we sowing confusion in the life of young believers? You have young believers who surrender their heart and their life to Christ. And when they see our lifestyle, they leave scratching their head going, wait a minute. The way they're living is the way that I was living before I gave my life to Christ. So that really means that I can just continue doing what I'm doing. And I have fire insurance. I got saved, so that just means I ain't going to hell. Praise God. When you truly understand that, the Spirit of God takes over. The Spirit of God transforms you. But church, we've got to get back to a place where where we're stationing ourselves on the rampart. Where we've got to be, here's the word that we don't like to talk about. We've got to be disciplined followers of Christ. Look, I know that we talk about grace and mercy all the time. And don't get me wrong, I love grace. I am so thankful for mercy. I'm so thankful for all of those things. But when I under, truly understand those, I want to get disciplined for God. Because I want people to experience what I've experienced. I want people to know this Jesus that I know. So we've got to be disciplined. We've got to be disciplined to set ourselves apart, to station ourselves on the rampart, to get in the word of God, to speak to God, to hear from God. But the truth is, is we don't like to slow down long enough to do it. So it's time, church, that we rise above the chaos and the sin of this world. It's time, church, that we begin to look different than everybody else. It's time that we act different than everybody else. You know, and that's exactly what Habakkuk has done here. He says, okay, God, today I'm going to stand on the guard post and I'm going to station myself on the rampart. God, I, I'm ready to hear from you. I'm ready to notice when the enemy's attacking so God, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to quit complaining. I'm going to set myself apart so that I can hear from you, so that I can see, God, what it is that you want me to do, what it is that you're doing. But then I love how he goes on and there's still the fear that he has of God. And he says, I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. He's referencing there what it, the whole conversation of chapter one. He's saying, God, I know you're probably still mad at me because I know I disagreed with you a lot. I know I yelled at you. But the, vict the victory in that is starting next week in verse two, God speaks right back to him. God was loving him unconditionally. God was doing only what God can do. He's been disagreeing all of chapter one, but he responds. And we're gonna read about those responses next week. But church, I left this week as I've just been processing this one verse throughout the entire week. I've, I've left so burdened for us as the church. And I'm talking about myself too because I have to look at every area of my life and do all those areas of my life declare that I love Jesus. 
Do all areas of my life declare that I love Jesus? Can people see that and go, man, that dude loves Jesus. Man, that dude loves Jesus. I remember a guy one time, uh, many of you probably know him, but Tim Sexton, um, I don't know that I've ever met a man who probably walks closer to Jesus than he does. And I remember something that happened one time. I was sitting in a parking lot with a pastor friend of mine and, and Mr. Tim was walking along the sidewalk and, and this man, he just oozes Jesus. Really just kind of disgusts me, really. He's just, nah. But I look at him and, and the guy that I was sitting with goes, he makes me sick. I'm like, golly, that was rude. And he goes, look at him. He said, he even walks like Jesus. But the reality is, can people look at us and say, man, they're disgusting. They even walk like Jesus. Do people look at our lives? Do they see what we're doing? Does what we say at work declare that we love Jesus? Here's a big one. Does what we like, do what we share, do what we post on social media, does it declare I love Jesus? Does it? Does how we treat our family declare, I love Jesus? Does how you treat your wife declare, I love Jesus? Does how you treat your husband declare, I love Jesus? Does how you treat your family members declare, I love Jesus? By the time I was reading all that, I was ready to crawl under my desk and stay there because there's a lot of areas of my life that does not declare that I love Jesus. But church, it's time that we, as a body of believers, that we station ourselves on the rampart. That we stand on our guard post, stay obedient in the calling and the place and the responsibility that God has given you. But God, it's also time that we rise above the chaos, that we rise above the sin. Does areas of your life declare that you love Jesus? Or does areas of your life sow confusion? Does areas of your life bring question to unbelievers? Do areas of your life bring question to new believers? Look, I know this isn't any fun. But can you imagine, church, what it would look like if we would raise the bar? If we would seek the direction of the Holy Spirit of God? Can you imagine the revival that would take place in this area? Can you imagine the revival that would start here if we raised the bar, if we said, you know what, we're not going to conform to the world anymore? But we as a church, we're going to station ourselves on the rampart so that we can clearly hear from God what we as a church are supposed to look like, what we're supposed to act like, what we're supposed to talk like. And so maybe this morning is just a, a litmus test for all of us. Maybe this morning that we just get in a place and we just ask God to examine our hearts. We just ask God to examine our hearts today. And say, God, please reveal to me any area of my life that I can't declare that I love Jesus in. 